Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of May 18th through the 24th. Uh, this week, the sun is moving into Gemini. So we will talk about the first decan of Gemini and the Eight of Swords. Uh, retrograde Venus will be squaring Neptune uh, at 20 degrees from the third decan of each of those signs, Gemini and Pisces, respectively. Then on Friday, the 22nd, um, the sun will be trining a retrograde Saturn at one degree of Gemini and, Sat and Aquarius, excuse me. Uh, a couple other Mercury aspects for the week. Mercury will be conjoining a retrograde Venus at 20 degrees. It will be squaring Neptune at the same degree. And all of this is going to be happening concurrent with our new moon in Gemini at two degrees. So we'll break down the new moon. Um, this new moon is going to be trining Saturn retrograde at one degree and making a whole sign square to Mars at six degrees. And the first aspect that it makes as it leaves the bond, um, the 15 degree orb of being in conjoined with the sun, which is a, a point of, of phasis or a, an omen that speaks sometimes more loudly than, than other things and gives us kind of the flavor of what the karmic cycle to come is going to be like is a conjunction with retrograde Venus at 19 degrees of Gemini. Uh, we'll talk about Mercury moving into the third decan of Gemini as well and the Ten of Swords. And we'll do a little bit of an examination of the fixed star Fomalhaut um, because Mars will be making a conjunction to that fixed star uh, this week or in close proximity. All right, so let's take a look at our chart here. We'll get right down to business. Hope that you're all doing well today. I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon. Um, I know I've been trying to release all these a lot earlier, and I, I will do my best. Um, just got done listening to a really interesting uh, talk about planets in fall by a really great astrologer named Gray Crawford. So I would highly encourage you to go check that out. I believe there's a replay of that um, on the Nightlight Astrology website, uh, which is um, the website of Achuta Bhavadas formerly known as Adam Ellenboss. So uh, there's some really good information in there. I highly recommend it. Gray's a great astrologer, so that's why we're getting a little bit of a late start today. But we'll get to it. Also, I've heard some requests for some time stamping uh, for the videos, and I will do my best to make that as functional as I can. So I hear you, and I will try to make it as, as good of an experience for you as I can. Um, so the essential dignities for this week, the sun <clears throat> is going to be moving from 27 degrees of Taurus and then shifting signs into the uh, mercurial sign of Gemini. So this will be a mutable air sign, which will be a lot different than the fixed earth that we've ex been experiencing with the sun in Taurus. So uh, a lot of shifts, a lot of changes, a lot of um, potentially more ambiguity an explosion of options. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to our dailies, but you can expect the, uh, the conversation to get a little bit more mm, scattered with a lot of different opinions. If, it, if there wasn't already enough already, get ready for more. Um, in Taurus, the third decan of Taurus, the sun is peregrine, and it'll be moving through the terms of Mars through the last degrees, 27 through 30 degrees. When it moves into Gemini, it is also peregrine, but it, it will be in the terms of Mercury from zero to six degrees of that sign. 
Saturn is retrograde this week, uh, this week for a number of weeks. Uh, remember last week, we just uh, experienced a number of planets going retrograde, including Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn. So hopefully you're uh, reviewing some of the things in your life that need to be reviewed, and we'll, we'll discuss that. But this is a great time for re-examining some of our beliefs, some of our, the rules that we are you know, living under, and also some of our relationships. So all of those things are going to be getting uh, a re-examination of sorts. So yes, Saturn is retrograde in the first degrees of Aquarius, where it has domicile rulership and triplicity rulership for the daytime uh, of the air signs. It'll be moving through the terms of Mercury from zero to seven degrees. So we still have a very strong Saturn, but we're, it is moving in retrograde motion now, as you can see, and now making its journey back into the sign of Capricorn, which I believe happens in, in a... Uh, a few weeks or so, probably in June. Uh, in June or the beginning of July, Saturn will retrograde back into uh, the sign of Capricorn. So we're going to see some themes associated with uh, power structures being more prevalent with Saturnian themes rather than just with uh, being in exile, where where Saturn is being is giving us a focus by being in the first decan of Aquarius which is about kind of this distancing that we're, we're experiencing. And that, and that could really coincide with uh, a, lot of our, a lot of our municipal functions starting to reopen and things like that. And, you know, there are definitely multiple opinions on whether that's the right thing to do or not. Um, I'll try not to get too much into that this, this time. Um, last week, I had a lot of uh, subjective opinions. This week, I'll try to you know, give you a little bit more of the astrology. Although in my defense, I am just one person and I do have some viewpoints and those things are going to leak out every once in a while. And um, while I will try to be balanced with that, it, it's literally impossible to, to not have some of your own personality come out when you're doing these types of things. So um, we'll just have to, for those of you who agree with me, then hey, right on. If, if those of you who don't, we'll have to agree to disagree at some point. And um, yeah, I hope that you'll still be able to get something from the astrology from it. Uh, Jupiter is moving retrograde in the sign of Capricorn in the third decan where it is in its fall. And again, I would highly recommend that you go check out Gray Crawford's uh, talk on planets in fall because it was really, really very interesting. And planets in fall um, talk about being at the bottom of the wheel of fortune or the bottom of a well. It, it was, they were also called, this, this condition was also called being in its depression. And Gray talked a lot about, um, I, I think the one thing that really stood out to me is uh, when a planet is in its fall, it's functioning sort of outside of uh, cultural norms, uh, sort of in a place of humility. Uh, I, I think one of the main things that I thought was really, really um, fascinating was seeing a lot of people who have planets in the position of their fall uh, kind of expressing the quality of camp or kind of like almost an exaggerated uh, an exaggerated being an exaggerated quality of being out of step with the time but creating something new from it and I, th I thought that was really cool I thought I think that with Jupiter being in its fall 
You can also consider this a, a period of contraction where we're going, we're descending into darkness and we're descending into some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, cocoon like I, we've been talking about so that we can be reborn. Uh, so, and the, the thing to really consider about a planet and its fall is there eventually it will start to rise again and there, there's nowhere to go but up. So with Jupiter, we're having to really kind of compost some of the old beliefs that we may have held as a society. Uh, our ability to create abundance is, is in darkness right now. Our ability to create consensus is in darkness. And eventually, uh, like a planet that has gone Kazemi in the furnace of the sun, uh, we should be able to have a rebirth of sorts. And uh, again, that planet will start to, to function or come to light as it moves out of that condition. Now, a planet being in retrograde and fall kind of exacerbates that condition. And so we may not be able to get really in touch with our ability to create abundance or consensus as a community. Um, we may be thinking a lot about trying to create those things from a very material perspective since Saturn is the one that is hosting the Earth sign of, of Saturn, Capricorn, is providing for Jupiter. I think one of the things that has really been effective in my practice lately that I want to keep uh, as a feature of these, um, these talks that I do is talking about the guest host relationship and the kind of uh, conjugation of astrological sentences. So Jupiter is, is basically the, the verb and Saturn is the object. So we are Jupitering Saturn right now. We are expanding uh, contraction, death, decay, uh, limitations. So it, it's a really, really cool way of thinking about, um, I guess, Hellenistic astrology in general, but just your astrological chart and how we're experiencing it as a collective. Okay, so Jupiter will be moving through the terms of Mars from 26 to 30 degrees. Uh, Venus is also retrograde uh, as of last week in the second decade of Gemini. And, G and Venus is a really important player in our new moon, uh, making some important contacts with Mercury this week. So uh, really pay attention to, to where Venus is in your chart. And that will be the whole sign house of Gemini. And, and pay attention to the themes that are emerging for you as far as what you, what you like, what you love, what you desire, how you create harmony in a certain area of your chart. And that may be asked to be reevaluated as we move through this retrograde cycle. Um, Venus is going to be on the terms of Mars from 17 to 24 degrees, and then on its own terms as it retrogrades back from 12 to 17 degrees. So Venus is moving from 21 degrees Gemini and moving backwards to 19 degrees. Whereas Jupiter is only moving about Oh, I don't know, a few minutes this week. It's very slow, very slow. And uh, so again, if we look at our astrological sentences, we are Venusing Mercury right now. So we're being, Venus is being provided uh, resources by the planet Mercury, who is in its own domicile. And Mercury is a planet that destabilizes, that questions, uh, whereas Venus is a planet that unifies and harmonizes. So we are attempting to harmonize differing options, differing opinions, uh, a lot of different 
ambiguities that we're trying to experience, a lot of different communications, uh, where we get our information. Um, but that is, is, we're having difficulty with that since Venus is in retrograde motion. Uh, a planet in retrograde motion in, in the traditional system was said to be not, a, that was a, a debility. It was, it was said to not to be functioning as properly as it would be as if it was moving forward. Now, I've talked about in this podcast in the, in the past, we can also think about retrograde planets as a divine course correction because the planet is moving in the uh, diurnal motion, which was associated with the divine eternal motion of the sun, whereas planets moving in zodiacal motion are associated with uh, the motion of the moon, which bring thing, brings things into being and helps them pass out of being. So we have one thing that's a little bit more uh, consistent, stable, and eternal, and another type of, of motion that is a little bit more um, um, more about, what is the word that I'm searching for? Ephemeral, more ephemeral. Um, so these retrograde planets are kind of asking us to let go of the oars of life and be guided by our by our higher selves by the divine not necessarily by that planet's will but by something that is more transcendent okay mars is going to be moving through the first decan of pisces where it has triplicity rulership in the nighttime mars is the nocturnal ruler uh, triplicity ruler of the water signs It'll be moving through the terms of Venus from 0 to 12 degrees, and it'll be moving from 3 degrees of Pisces to 8 degrees of Pisces, and it will pass over through that 3 to 4 degree range, the fixed star Fomalhaut, which we will talk about in a little bit of depth. And I will read you uh, a passage from Bernadette Brady's book on fixed stars, because I've been diving into that a little bit and trying to educate myself more on fixed stars. Um, it's something that is fairly new for me, so I, I uh, am just beginning to come to terms with what they mean and how to use them. Uh, I, I, it's a little bit challenging to figure out how to use the concept of parans, which is something that Bernadette Brady is um, very um, uses a lot in her book, which, I, which, if I'm exploring this correctly has to do with a more 360 degree view of a chart. Whereas when we're looking at the chart here, we've got this very two-dimensional way of thinking about it. Um, but if we think about this rising over here, this is a horizon and this is a Western part of the horizon. I'm looking at the Eastern part of the chart on the left-hand side and the Western part on the right. And we've got the South up here at the top, the North at the bottom. This is our, our mid-heaven up here, right? The highest point in the chart, the most visible. And the IC is where everything is down below the earth and invisible. When we're thinking about that, we've got a person that's standing here, okay, in the middle, but it, we're not standing in two-dimensional space. We're, we're standing in a three-dimensional space. And we've got planets that are rising over here, but we've also got planets that are setting over here. And you have to kind of do this kind of brain kind of, oh, I don't know, this, this mind meld and see this as a, a sphere 
rather than just like a flat space. See that? These are my really Jakey Spears that I'm drawing on the screen, if you can't tell, um, if you're only listening to the audio. But, and I'm going to erase this for a second because this is just distracting. But you can see that fixed stars are going to be culminating here at the midheaven sometimes as they are, as a planet is rising or descending at the nadir uh, at, at various different times. Or they could be setting over here in the uh, I guess you'd call this the northwest as a planet is rising. So the, I guess the gist of that is that there are multiple places a fixed star can connect with a planet that aren't just the one degree that we normally see associated with it. Uh, and, and, that is a, and that changes based on the latitude of where you are on the planet. Um, so like I said, it's still something that I'm trying to parse out in my own understanding. But what I will say is that a lot of the degrees that we talk about with fixed stars, like for example, four degrees of Pisces and Fulmahalt, I believe that is where we have the fixed star is culminating, all right, uh, when that planet is at that degree. So that's my understanding. Now, if I make a mistake in that, please forgive me because it's a new concept and I will do more research. But I, did, I, I do feel fairly confident that we have an association with planets culminating when they're at certain degrees uh, of, of zodiacal motion, uh, certain zodiacal degrees of longitude. So if you have more expertise in that, please leave me a comment. Or if you want to help uh, add to that discussion, I totally welcome it. Um, but yes, this is something where... Uh, another astrological rabbit hole. I, in my preparation for my notes, um, I was just doing some research on Fulmahalt, but then I started, you know, really reading the science behind it in Bernadette Brady's book and, and got very sidetracked for an entire afternoon trying to wrap my brain around it. And um, yeah, I believe, I, you know who I, whose help I needed? There's this guy, his name's Gemini Brett. He, he's very, very good at the astronomy which I think is something that I actually am a little bit weaker at. I, I have some strengths with the um, poetic and symbolism of things, but when it comes to the astronomical understanding of it, that's something that I hope to, to gain an understanding of as I move forward. Because I do think it is very important understanding how these things work in the sky and how we observe them in motion from our position on the earth. And I think that's very important too, is you have to think that when this system was uh, created, when this system was being worked out by ancient astrologers, they were thinking about this and how they observed the movement of the planets over the night sky. So we do have to think about it as from a point of reference of the earth. This is why that when I think about, uh, and if you're into this, that's okay, but there's this, this kind of concept going around about heliocentric astrology where they think about the sun as the center um, and where the planets are in relationship to that and I and I there may be something to that 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 I don't completely understand yet uh, but I think that when we're looking at some of these ancient systems that wasn't the uh, cosmological model that they were working within they were working from an earth-centric perspective and a lot of the meanings that they were ascribing to planetary positions was from that Earth-centric perspective. And I think that if we're going to work within some of those systems, we, we have to keep that 
in mind. Not to say if you do any solar-based astrology that there isn't merit in that. It's just, um, it's a little bit different than I think that how the uh, ancient authors were thinking about planetary movement. Okay. Mercury itself is moving through the first and second, I'm sorry, the second and third decan of Gemini this week. Uh, it is going to be moving from 12 degrees of Gemini to 24 degrees of Gemini. It is in its own domicile. It is in its own triplicity. It is the triplicity ruler of the air signs at night. So it has both resources, its own resources, and communal support. Remember, triplicity rulers were like um, the nature of Jupiter. So kind of like the wind in the sails. They were associated with the four directional winds in ancient astrology. So it's kind of like we have an extra boost of support for mercurial things this week. Uh, and we have the same thing happening with Saturn being in, in its own triplicity as well. Uh, Mercury will be on the terms of Venus from 12 to 17 degrees, and then on the terms of Mars from 17 to 24 degrees. And again, terms or, or bound rulers was like a curriculum setter. It was setting the, the um, oh, I don't know, the, the game plan for the, for the planet. And it had to work within that particular structure. So if you have like, think about it like this, if you have a planet that's in domicile, or you have a planet's domicile, in this case, let's call it Gemini, which will be Mercury's home. Uh, that is like its temple. You could think of the bound ruler as like a, a room within that temple where you have to do a specific task. And, and there are certain rules within that. Like you're not going to cook food in the bathroom. There's certain, uh, <laughs> there's certain functions that a bathroom is for. Uh, and there's certain functions that a kitchen is for. So there is a, a planet that may be responsible. So like say you have a kitchen ruler and Venus, for example, could be the ruler, the bound ruler of the kitchen. And, and, and there are certain uh, expectations in a kitchen. Um, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to take a crap in the sink. <laughs> like that would probably make Venus pretty upset. You know, whereas we're probably, if, you know, we're practicing good hygiene. We're probably not going to cook food in the bathroom. So th I think that's the way that I've come to terms with that, uh, with that concept um, and one way of thinking about it. Okay, the moon this week is going to be waning from its balsamic dark phase to the new moon. Uh, again, the new moon is going to be happening on Friday the 22nd and then beginning to wax again. The moon is peregrine as it moves through Aries. It then moves into its exaltation in the sign of Taurus, where it is also the triplicity ruler uh, of the, the nocturnal triplicity ruler of the earth signs. And it has dignity by face or decan in the second decan of Taurus. So a very strong Taurus moon. But interestingly enough, that Taurus, that very strong Taurus moon is going to be happening in the balsamic phase. So a great time for letting go of physical resources or things that physical things that may have outlived their usefulness. Uh, the moon will be peregrine as it moves through Gemini, and then it will move into its own domicile in the sign of Cancer. Okay, so let's uh, go through the dailies here. And I will share one chart. And we will start to look at our daily motions. Okay. So Monday, the, the uh, 18th, we're finishing up 
the sun being very close to the fixed star Algol. And remember, I, I think I talked about this last week, that Algol is the head of Medusa uh, and was one of the malefic fixed stars. Um, so a contact with a planet and Algol could cause some, some challenges, uh, could cause us to potentially lose our heads like, the, like Medusa in, in, our, in that story. Um, yeah, there's, I, I don't know if any of you have had some, some difficult relationship challenges coming up with Venus going retrograde and uh, the sun being on Algol. That's a pretty, uh, I would say it's a volatile combination for, for those two planets and probably does not lend itself to rationality in relationships. Um, potentially there could have been some kind of events that was a blow up that required um, reevaluating some of the ways that you uh, bring harmony in your, in your intimate relationships or with friends or colleagues or anything like that. Um, so yeah, if you've had stuff, stuff going on like that over the last week, you know, maybe share, feel free to share your story in the comments. Okay, on Monday the 18th, uh, the moon starts out in Aries in its balsamic phase. And the balsamic phase is when we have, a, you know, a 45 degree, less than 45 degrees between the sun and the moon. It's the very end of the lunar cycle. And this is really about uh, letting go of things, about kind of trying to um, oh, incorporate all of the lessons that we learned from the previous lunar cycle. And we had this previous lunar cycle in, in Taurus, then we had the full moon uh, in Scorpio. And now we're going to be moving and trying to incorporate all those lessons, all those material lessons and lessons of maybe some independence versus needing to work together with others. And then we're going to be moving towards this Gemini new moon um, where we have a proliferation of, of options. So on Monday, the moon is going to make a sextile to Mercury at 1.16 p.m. Okay, from Aries to Gemini. So we've got a moon-Mercury sextile. So there is a some kind of positive conversation between the two, okay, where we may be um, starting to initiate, okay, or trying to find identity within uh, all the multiplicity of things that we're being presented with. Um, so that could be part of that sextile there. We may feel an energy, like there may be a, a, uh, a match that is lighting the flame of our curiosity. Uh, we may feel like initiating something with this too, which is interesting because with the moon and Aries, there's definitely some impulses to start something new. But I would caution you about starting anything uh, underneath this particular moon phase because really the, the more overpowering, overarching uh, you know, zeitgeist of the time is a letting go, is a, an incorporating of a lesson to, to help us plant the new seed. Um, again, we're starting our week off with Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto, if you want to include an outer planet in there, all retrograde. So it's definitely a time of reevaluating things. Uh, the other thing to consider on Monday is that Jupiter and Pluto are coming back into a conjunction. 
and are, you know, almost within that three degree orb where we're going to see that become a much more highlighted uh, conjunction or, or co-presence. And so we're going to be seeing themes that are going to be coming back with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. And the other thing that uh, is important on Monday, so again, I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point of, of Jupiter-Pluto, but, but a lot of the themes we were seeing were Jupiter and expanding some of the exposure of some of the corrupt systems that we live within. Um, there, are, there are many astrologers that associate the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction with the, the coronavirus and the expansion of uh, you know, corrupt elements within, within our collective uh, experience. So we could be seeing some themes coming up with that again. Of course, we're still in the middle of this. My professional opinion is it's not over by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and I think this is supported by a lot of the retrogrades and then some of the conflicts that we see with some of the more intense squares towards the summer months that we're going to be experiencing, especially with Saturn and Mars, when Mars moves into Aries and squares Saturn and Capricorn. Um, so we're going to be revisiting some of these themes again and really asking a lot of questions on what the what the really the right thing is to do. Okay. The other thing that's going to be happening on Monday at around 7 a.m. that I think is important to examine. Let's go to 7 a.m. so you can see it. There it is right here. Uh, Mercury is going to be making its appearance as an evening star and what that means is that it is mercury is indirect is is direct in motion and it is separating from the sun and remember we recently had the in the i'm sorry the superior conjunction that's when the uh, the planet mercury or venus is moving in direct motion and makes a conjunction with the sun so I didn't want to trip over my words, but Mercury and Venus are called inferior planets, which in the Hellenistic uh, geocentric model, they were within the orbit uh, or within the sphere of the sun, whereas the superior planets were outside of the sphere. You know, you had kind of this like, you know, nesting dolls type of spherical understanding of the universe at that point. And you had the earth at the center, and then you had these two um, you had the moon here, then you had Mercury and Venus, and those were the called the inferior planets. And then we had the sun, and then we had, uh, you know, the superior planets, which are Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Okay, and those were called the superior planets. And th those were thought of having their own spheres or their own realms. Okay. I'm drawing concentric circles here. And then we had the realm of the fixed stars, where, which were outside of those. Uh, they were said to be almost like, I, I don't know, a lot of ancient uh, astrologers thought of those to be even greater in power to the planets. Uh, so very interesting thoughts on that. Um, I have a lot more research to do on that. So forgive me if my thoughts are still kind of formulating with all that. There's a really great book that I, I desire to acquire after reading just the, the kind of the introduction to Bernadette Brady's book that is called, uh, I believe it's called Hamlet's Mill. 
and uh, really seems like there's some really very interesting concepts in there regarding um, the the pole star and how the ancients thought of that pole as everything revolving around it and the uh, importance of seeing um, ancient philosophy through that concept of having like a like a, a a pole that's running through the earth that everything is rotating around and um, i'm gonna have to order that one uh, and and i would point you towards that book um, for a because she's quoting it over and over again um, in regards to how we understand fixed stars. So there's another rabbit hole for you to go down, but I'll let you know <laughs> once I do some more research on that, on that, uh, with that book in particular. Okay. So with this appearance as the evening star, what we're seeing is Mercury is moving outside of a 15 degree orb of the sun. So it is literally coming out from under the beams of the sun. When a planet is within a 15 degree orb of the sun, at least for Mercury, the orb may be smaller for other planets, I'm not exactly sure, but a lot, there's a lot of literature that talk, talks about the 15 degree orb. I've seen some ancient literature that talks about smaller orbs for some of the outer planets, um, but I would have to explore that further. Uh, so when Mercury comes out of that 15 degree orb of the sun, it becomes visible in the night sky, okay? Now, it is going to be rising after the sun in the day, but what if we were to flip our chart all the way over here to the western horizon, okay, when the sun is setting, that means that Mercury is going to be uh, visible in the night sky. So it, Mercury is the evening star. Now, Mercury was not visible in either the morning or the evening star when it was under the beams. So this moment, which is called the moment of Phasis, is a very important one, one to traditional astrologers or ancient astrologers because it is an appearance, the first appearance of that planet after it has gone through kind of a, a rebirth phase or a, a furnace or a cleansing type of phase. So Mercury is emerging from its conjunction with the solar furnace and then making an announcement in that night sky. So it's very important to pay attention on Monday morning, the kind of messages that you receive, because those messages might take on extra importance to give you some clarity as far as what's going to be happening with this new Mercury cycle that we're experiencing. Okay, so uh, just to give you a heads up, Mercury makes its appearance as the evening star. Um, we may be going a little bit more, uh, mer this Mercury may be a little bit more feminine as well, even though it's in a, a masculine sign. Um, this may be a little bit more about examining um, what types of things that we value within our communication, within our, the, the significations of commerce, um, our skill set, re-examining our skill set. I know this is something that I've been doing as far as reskilling with my astrological knowledge and examining where to put my intellectual energy. So that may be something that you're doing as well as a collective. Um, so that's really Monday. So that's Monday the 18th. So if we move forward to Tuesday. Now, before I move on, 
Mercury is going to be moving towards a conjunction to Venus. So this is part of what we're going to be experiencing towards the um, new moon. So again, we're going to be talking about and delineating these two planets as a combination for this week. And, and their themes are very intertwined. So Mercury and Venus. So destabilizing uh, unity. That, I think that's one of the things that I can think about with that. We are trying to Venus Mercury. We're trying to harmonize a proliferation of uncertainty. <laughs> like, and we're having to re-examine the past to do that because, you know, a lot of times when we see a planet move retrograde, something from your past will come up to be re-examined. And that's what is going to be happening in many, many different facets of our life this week. Okay, so I'm going to move forward to Tuesday the 19th. And on Tuesday the 19th, the moon will be moving uh, through Aries into the sign of Taurus at 10.10 p.m., continuing its balsamic phase. The moon will be making a sextile to that retrograde Venus at 4.17 a.m. at 21 degrees of Aries and Gemini. It will then square a retrograde Pluto at 11.15 a.m. at 24 degrees of Aries and Capricorn. And then shortly after that, in the afternoon, it will square retrograde Jupiter at 27 degrees of Aries. And then that, that, that'll be the final lunar aspect for the day before the moon moves into Taurus. Okay, so let's unpack Tuesday the 19th. So we're going to be starting off the day with a positive communication of the moon and Venus where we may be uh, getting some communication or some impulses to really examine how we create identity, how we are separate from others. A lot of the times when the moon moves through Aries, it's being provided for by Mars. And that makes us aware, aware of the things that, that separate us. Mars was the essential uh, verb of severance and separation. So we may be getting uh, some clarity as to how we are different and how we create a different identity than the, than the people in our lives. And uh, that may have be a clarifying conversation or a clarifying moment on Tuesday the 19th. Now, the end of the day, towards as the day progresses, the moon is going to be making some difficult aspects to Pluto and Jupiter. So some of those um, reevaluating our desires and what makes us happy and what we love is going to come in contact with how we create abundance in our life and, and how we are attempting to find meaning. Anytime we have Jupiter in the mix, we're attempting to find meaning and we're attempting to unify or confirm or bring things together. So we may, our new realization about what we value may make it difficult to come to some kind of consensus with the material structures of our life on Tuesday. And this is all really being uh, hosted by Mars and Mercury, okay? So Mars, again, I was going to talk about Mars being on the fixed star of Fomalhaut on Tuesday. So you can see Mars right now is at four degrees of Pisces, and that is the point, I believe, if I'm getting this correct, where uh, Fomalhaut will be culminating 
as that planet is moving through the, that area of the zodiac. Okay, so there's definitely a connection between that planet and that fixed star. Uh, I, I heard a, a brief talk about fixed stars from Austin Kopic, where he talked about the fixed stars being like, uh, like our own star, the sun, generating power, generating energy, and our own planets draw power and vitality from the sun. And sometimes when a planet is making contact with these fixed stars, they are drawing power or energy or significations from those fixed stars, which potentially have some slightly different um, energies than our own, our own planet, or I'm sorry, our own sun. So let's unpack Fomalhaut. And I thought this would be a cool time to talk about, to give you a, uh, a reading from Bernadette Brady's book. This is the Brady's book of fixed stars. Really interesting. She, uh, I looked over her chart. She's a Pisces sun and a Pisces Mercury. And after looking at um, or, or taking in Gray Crawford's talk about planets in fall, which Mercury is in, in her chart, it's really interesting to see that uh, Jupiter is providing for her Mercury. And she, she's really making an attempt in this book to bring meaning to a lot of different details. And that can be a little bit confusing with Mercury in its fall. That can be challenging since Mercury's general nature is to destabilize or separate things into categories. But you can see that she's making an attempt in this book to, to bring some kind of um, metaphorical poetic meaning to things. So uh, I, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing to see who we're being provided information for. I believe that her Jupiter is in Aquarius too. So kind of this very rational, um, overarching perspective that she may have too, that's providing for those two important planets in her chart. Okay, so this is what she says of Fomalhaut. For in, in, this, in this book, what she does is she uh, gives you some of the astronomy. She tells you about the constellation that that fixed star is a part of. And then she gives you this chart that talks about the, the parans or the connections between the star when it's culminating, when it's descending, and so on and so forth, which that is the part of the, the book that I'm still really trying to wrap my head around and how to use that correctly. Um, and then she talks about earlier opinions and, and because there is a, a book by Vivian Robeson, which is a fixed star book, where he compared the... Uh, fixed stars to planetary natures, which he was drawing upon uh, older text. I believe Ptolemy was giving fixed stars um, natures of the planets as well. And she says, earlier opinions, Ptolemy states that Fomalhaut is of the same nature as Venus and Mercury. Robeson relates it to immortal fame and great success and to spirituality. Ebertine says that it is either very good or very bad, depending on the natal chart. So he consider, considers it a type of amplifier. Riger talks of the star being undermining in its influence and of its manifesting in idealism and spirituality. Okay, I think that part of it's important because this was echoed by Austin Kopic, who I think draws upon this particular source in general, talking about, uh, he calls it the wizard poet star. So Bernadette Brady says, I consider the royal stars of Persia to be quite unique. Uh, and this is the the other royal stars. There were four that were associated with the four directions of the four winds. 
Regulus is the watcher of the north, Aldebaran is the watcher of the east, and Antares is the watcher of the west. So she says, I consider the royal stars of Persia to be quite unique, for each one seems to represent a trial or a temptation through which the individual must work before true success can be achieved. They form a rocky road with many potential pitfalls or areas where the individual can fall from grace. They, rep they are represented in Christian mythology by, by the scene in the Bible where Christ is tempted by Satan. They are the nemesis the individual must conquer. Formahalt is like the Persian character Zal. Out of step with society, he strives to gain the greatest prize in the kingdom, the beautiful Rudabay, or and though there are numerous odds against the couple, their intoxicating otherworldly love for each other wins through. Okay, so it sounds like he's trying to win uh, an object of desire. Formahalt contains a touch of the mystic, a sense of magic, and inspires high ideals or lofty visions. As one of the royal stars, it bestows charisma. In particular, Formahalt, in, in Formahalt's case, beauty or perfection, or beauty or perfect harmony. An individual with Fomahalt strong in their natal chart will, ha will have to clash with the mainstream thought in order to achieve these ideals. If the ideal is a noble cause, the person will find happiness or success for the benefit of the collective. However, if the ideals or dreams are corrupt in any way, then the downfall is total. The challenge of people strongly influenced by Fomahalt is to maintain the purity of their ideals or dreams. Abraham Lincoln had Fomahalt culminating with his mercury. His ideal was to abolish slavery. He had to clash with mainstream thinking, and although he lost his life in the cause, he was successful. Gal Galileo Galilei had Fomahalt culminating with his son. His ideals had to do with the laws, laws of physics. He clashed with the Catholic Church and indeed was made a prisoner in his own house, but he was successful. Adolf Hitler had Fomahalt rising with his Mars, which I think is important because we have Mars as part of the player uh, in our chart this week, especially on Tuesday. His ideals were for the supremacy of the Aryan race. He gained great power and then lost everything, including fame, the fame and glory he sought for himself as the Fuhrer. Lincoln became father of his country. Galileo became a father of modern physics. Hitler wanted to be known as a father figure, but ended up in history as the great dictator. Fomahalt gives a great desire to pursue ideals and even promises success with those ideals, but only if they are pursued for the collective good. In a totally different example, Fomahalt was active in the chart of John Lennon, for it rose as his moon culminated. His idealism was expressed in his song, Imagine, and his intoxication with his wife, second wife, Yoko Ono. In his own way, Lenin was a very Zal-like character. All right. So, and she talks about Fomahalt in the natal chart. If this great star is chart touching your chart by Paran, then you need to be very clear and honest with yourself about your motives in the pursuit of some goal. And as you start to achieve your outcome, it is imperative that personal glory does not become the main driving force. In recognition, if recognition is forthcoming, it is also important that it is not manipulated for personal glorification. Another side to this story is the bittersweet madness of the poetic mind challenged 
challenged to remain in the physical world, the child stolen by the fairies who must reject the sweet escape from life and fight to return to the mortal world of life, death, and pain. Fomahalt is one of the great stars in the sky. If affected in your chart, it will have huge impact in your life. Okay, so we're talking about issues of mysticism, talking about issues of great idealism. Um, and I think that works really well with the Deccan that this is part of as well, because we see in the, the first Deccan of Pisces is the Jupiter ruled Deccan. I'm sorry, no, I'm, I'm mistaken in that. It is, is being hosted by Jupiter, okay, which is in its fall. And it, it is a Saturnian Deccan. But we have the Eight of Cups, okay? We have the Eight of Cups where we see a figure that is wandering off into the distance in search of something spiritual. So they're leaving material reality behind sometimes. So we could, we could associate this with potentially wanting to escape reality in search of some kind of ideal. Now, we cannot talk about Fomahalt and Mars in this position without talking about the condition of Jupiter. And Jupiter is in its fall. Jupiter is, is corrupted right now. It's in darkness. It is, in the it is at the bottom of the wheel of fortune. We're trying to find consensus, but from a place of materia materiality. Materiality, that's a hard word to say. Now, I wanted to take this time to uh, show you the tarot card of the week that I pulled, and it was the emperor reversed, which really talks about the themes that were very um, co-present with Hitler and his Mars. So with Mars on Fomahalt, we may be feeling aggressive towards trying to bring, to trying to take action and the desire to sever or separate uh, with Mars in this position. So this is a, a place that accelerates our idealism, that causes us to be willing to fight for what we believe in. But I will caution you that it's being provided for Jupiter in a very uh, dysfunctional place and with a conjunction to Pluto, which can really amplify um, some of the issues of wanting power and control. And here there, I have a little, um, uh, a little description of the emperor reversed. It says, emperor reversed, dictatorship, oppression, powerlessness, immaturity, injury due to, to another's action, fraud. If the emperor is reversed, it indicates loss of control over a situation or yourself. Do not enter into battle. You will be hurt in the long run. It says, stop being immature and do not be afraid to step out on your own. Do not become tied to your parents. It is time to leave the nest. If you have issues to settle with either parents or siblings, settle them in a calm or authoritative manner without losing your temper. If you lose your temper, you will only bring out the god of war within yourself. Be aware of someone attempting to defraud or cheat you of what is rightfully yours, particularly if, you, if it is your birthright, whether it be money or land. Read all legal documents carefully. So I think that this period of time, and this, this also can t speak to a mixing all, in very Mercury and Gemini style, I'm mixing all of my divinatory systems right now. But I also got uh, the hexagram number 29, which talks about danger and repeating chasms. 
So this is like we're entering a pit, which, which I think really speaks to Jupiter and its fall. It's like we're down at the bottom of a well, but we're, instead of climbing out, we're taking actions out in the world that may be driving us further underground or further into the pit. Uh, and this is uh, speaking about, um, I think that we're going to see more abuses of power this week. I think that with this new moon and with all these retrograde planets, with Mars here, we're going to see people that are trying to fight for their beliefs and what they really believe is uh, so important to them, what they're really basing their entire um, action structure around. But remember, what Bernadette Brady said in that book, and I want to highlight that, is it stresses that, that being conjoined Fomahal those actions need to be in support of the collective, of the collective. When those actions are being used in pursuit of a selfish ideal, it brings a total fall from grace. And, you know, I, I think that if we're seeing our collective actions, uh, if we're going to be fighting for an individual dream, that could lead to the greatest fall. Whereas if we're fighting for something for the good of the whole, that may lead to the immortality of righteousness that we see in these other figures that were trying to advocate for something that supported a holistic way of being in the world. So I would caution you this week, especially with the moon moving through Aries, make sure that if you're going to uh, try to fight for a cherished belief, recognize that Jupiter is in its fall, conjoining Pluto. So there may be a, a disconnect between our higher self and that we may be uh, tempted to pursue a dream that is a little bit more self-serving than one that is supportive of the collective. And that could lead to abuses in our personal power in our personal worlds, and it could lead to abuses in uh, the collective as well. Uh, we have seen over the course of the um, communications surrounding this from in our my in my own particular country. I know I have some international listeners as well. Uh, a bit of uh, self-aggrandizement that is coming from our leadership. Uh, where there is a continuous um, pursuit of trying to gain credit for the actions that they are taking. And then a lot of, um, a lot of backlash and a lot of argumentative types of behavior when they feel that they are not acknowledged. Um, so I would watch for more of that, especially with Venus being retrograde as well. It's kind of like the gloves are off and there's not as much of a desire or an ability to harmonize the communication that we may be experiencing. Um, I would also say, as we move through the week, Mercury and Venus are going to be squaring Neptune. And this is going to lend quite a bit of confusion to the mix. So I want to you know, make that clear <laughs> is that we're going to have a lot of confusing uh, messages, a lot of mixed messages that are going to be coming in. And we're going to have a lot of options as far as how we're pursuing our idealism. 
and there's going to be many different opinions as to what, first of all, what our ideals even are, because I, I, what I've seen over the course of this is that we definitely don't share a lot of the same ideals as a community. We have, we're coming from a lot of different directions. I think, I think at the core of those polarized um, opinions, there definitely are consensuses. There, there definitely are basic human desires that do unify us, but we are being presented, uh, we're presenting them from very, very different poles right now. And that's making it very difficult to see some of the core things that we all want to experience. I think on, on a basic human level, we can look at it as the hierarchy of needs, right? We, we all want to have security, whether it's physical or emotional security. I think that's at the base, right? We want to feel safe. I think a lot of us um, are not feeling safe in a lot of ways, and that's at the base. And others, you know, as we move up, we're trying to find uh, identity, right? And, and how we are moving through a world. Um, if we don't feel safe, though, it's hard to craft a sense of identity. And I think that we're, we're all trying to feel um, a sense of safety within this situation. And, you know, I think that's where we can find the connection. Um, now, there's even disagreements as to how dangerous uh, the current experience we're having is. And I think that that makes it very difficult to come to a consensus as to what our actions should be because there's not even an, uh, a clear agreement on what <laughs> what is the, what the truth or the severity of the illness is. Um, and man, that makes it very difficult for people to take a unified action if they don't even believe uh, in the same severity of a danger. So that brings us back to our, our, our hexagram, danger, right? I'm going to read you the changing lines of that. In, in the I Ching, we have one hexagram that's talking about the current energy, and we have kind of a, a direction that the energy is flowing in, and the changing lines talks to us about this. And I, one of the, so there's three changing lines in the hexagram that I got. First line says repeated chasms, entering into the pit within the chasm, pitfall, says you need to go through the chasms, not further down them. You cannot solve the chasm or know it or get the measure of it. You can only get sucked further and further down into the pit within the chasm. Maybe you've been this way before. <laughs> Retrograde, right? Uh, it, takes even, it takes you even further from your center. You get more and more lost. It won't be at all easy to find your way out again. Now would be a good time to stop digging. The center is a really interesting concept because that's what Bernadette Brady was referencing with the uh, Hamlet's Mill was this concept of having a central pole that everything revolves around and this human desire to get back to uh, our own center. And I think that's something that we've seen from the dawning of time since stories have been told. And that may be something that we feel a little bit off kilter right now because our center seems to be, we seem to be off-centered. We seem to be uh, moving away from our unified center. And I think what this first changing line is saying, you know, instead of naming what we have here and understanding it, we have to stop digging the hole deeper, right? I think that's, and I could, you know, one perspective could be if, is, 
if we rejoin society too, too, too early, uh, we're continuing to, to put ourselves into danger rather than uh, eliminating the threat. That could be one way of thinking about it. Um, I'm sure that there are other people that have other opinions, and maybe you can discuss that in the comments if, if you're so inclined. Uh, the second line is called a cup. It says a cup of wine, a pair of dishes using earthenware. Let in the ropes from the window. In the end, no mistake. It says, imagine someone isolated in a prison pit with just a small opening to the world above and help, and help is lowered through the opening. With a link to the world above the pit, there's no longer any need to dig further down. This is a very simple picture. There's an opening and a connection and there is help. It's not much, and you may wish it could be more or faster, but there's really no call for a more elaborate offering. Simplicity and dis discretion help to ensure the connection can be made smoothly, where grand gestures might alert the guards and trigger a defensive reaction. Okay, so that also speaks to our Jupiter in fall at the bottom of the well or the bottom of a pit. Uh, and that talks about simple actions. It's like we don't have to have these grandiose actions that we're taking. We don't need to try to uh, re-engage with, with the past all at once. This may be just slightly coming to terms and, and slightly, like slowly and patiently moving towards the reality that we want, all the while kind of evaluating whether those, those steps have been effective or not. And I think that could be one... Uh, one way of thinking about it. Um, and in our personal lives, this could be like, you know, we're trying to find our way back to center. We're trying to find our way back to safety. And it doesn't need to be this giant um, declaration. Uh, I think that we're trying to solve a problem right now. Um, in a lot of ways, I think it's really interesting. My, my opinion as an astrologer is that we're going through a period of contraction. We're dealing with a, an, a threat that is um, universal and a public health threat. Now, other people are looking at a public health threat through the lens of a political power and individual rights lens, which I can understand some of the thinking, but it's, I think bringing a gun to fight a disease is the wrong tool. And that, that, that's kind of how I feel is, is what we're experiencing right now. We're bringing the wrong tools in some cases. Some of us are using the right tools. Like I think the proper tool is, uh, you know, the social distancing, um, wearing the mask, uh, having patience with the process, being able to let go of our attachment to material, physical reality and pursue maybe a more spiritual path. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to completely sacrifice every physical thing or every physical lifeline that you have, because that would be counterproductive too. If we, if we try to escape physical reality completely, then we're leading to our own, you know, its own set of issues and problems. Um, but it's, it's just very confusing to me to see some of the more extreme expressions of people trying to confront this, this problem with I would, what I am considering uh, ineffective tools. And I guess on the flip side, if I were to say this on the flip side, if I'm trying to understand where those folks are coming from, 
I guess they don't really see the disease as the big problem. Their, their problem is they see the the oppression of the government and, and their rights being infringed upon. Uh, to which I'm still not sure that brandishing semi-automatic assault rifles is the solution to that. Um, but that's a discussion for another day, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But we'll stick to the astrological things of it. Again, I can only filter my interpretation of the symbols through um, my own consciousness. So if that's not where you're at, then we'll have to agree to disagree. Okay, so that's kind of my exploration of Fomalhaut. Uh, so there's one more changing line in our hexagram for the week. And this will be a good thing to lead us towards our experience of the sun moving into Gemini on Wednesday. Okay, so let's move forward to Wednesday. All right, this is Wednesday, the 20th of May. And I'm going to move the chart forward. And we're seeing that you can see that the sun is moving in the last degrees here. And let's go where the sun is. So the sun moves into Gemini right about 10 a.m. or so. And uh, this Deccan, well, let's, let's think about it on the, the, the larger term. because And then I will circle back to the last uh, changing line in the hexagram because I think it has, it has um, significance. So the sun moving into Gemini is being hosted by Mercury. So if we are doing our sentences, we are solarizing Mercury. So the sun has uh, a commanding presence. It, it is associated with light, with knowledge, with uh, identity, with knowing. And so what we are doing is we are trying to, uh, also the concept of selection, um, so whereas Saturn is exclusion, the sun is selecting and sort of bringing you into the inner circle. So we are selecting, commanding, uh, br bringing light to destabilization with Mercury. Mercury is the concept of uncertainty, destabilization, uh, communication, differing opinions, curiosity. So we're br bringing an awareness, a light of the mind to mercurial things. And it's especially strong because Mercury is in the same sign as Mercury is in its own house. It has all its own resources. So this could be a very powerful moment for learning, for communication, for a feeling of everything is up in the air though, as well. We could have an awareness of just how unstable, uh, everything is around us right now. And, and I think that that's, uh, how, and also of how separate the parts are. Um, Jupiter is the planet that, that does things from a unified perspective. Or, and I think that one of the things we're seeing in America is that we have all these different municipalities creating their own rules. Um, because of the mercurial figure that we have in, uh, leading the f federal government right now, um, we have a, a destabilization of the unity of the country and more of a kind of a fend for yourself type of energy, which we've seen play out 
as the states have been kind of left to their own devices by the federal government. And I think that we're seeing going to be have an awareness of that as we move forward with some of the states, you know, attempting to reopen. I, I believe last week in Wisconsin, the Supreme Court, uh, the state Supreme Court struck down a governor's stay-at-home uh, order, and there were people congregating in bars, uh, you know, no social distancing, no masks. Um, and there were certain counties within that state that said no, like Milwaukee and Madison were like, no, we're, we are not lifting restrictions. And I think that that, that is some of the energy we're going to see with the sun moving into Gemini and Mercury being very strong is just uh, a little bit of chaos when it comes to trying to find any consensus as to what the rules are. And with Saturn moving retrograde, it may be some more difficulty following the rules. When Saturn's direct and in Aquarius, we're, we may be more inclined to do the hard work necessary to uh, right the wrong. Saturn is a planet of nemesis. And this was, a, 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 I've said this before in the past, but it's a planet of um, kind of correcting things punitive justice, where we're bringing things back into balance. Remember, Saturn exalts in Libra, where we're trying to bring things into balance. And when we have something that's out of whack and in darkness, Saturn was also associated with the concept of darkness or ignorance. Um, we have to take action and have mental and physical and emotional discipline to bring it back into balance. And when Saturn's retrograde, that may be more difficult to do. And we're, we are seeing a lack, of, um, a lack of discipline, a lack of, of laws, a lack of consensus as to what, uh, what we should be doing to, to make corrections. And that's part of the, the story and the equation that we're experiencing. Now, if we examine the first decan of Gemini and start to break it down from, uh, from that perspective, we've got... Uh, Jupiter is the ruler of the first face of Gemini. And Austin Coppett calls this face the apple of Eden. And we associate this from the Golden Dawn system with the Eight of Swords, where we see a figure who is blindfolded and bound. And this is a this is described in Austin's book about being paralyzed potentially by a proliferation of options. When Mercury is sort of the story of, of Eve in the Bible, when she bites into the apple, is she becomes aware of the duality of life and death, of male and female, of all the types of dualistic types of thinking that we um, experience as human beings. And she was cast out of the garden. She was cast out of unity. The garden was the thought of that place uh, that was connected to the pole. Um, and again, I'll probably learn more as I read Hamlet's Mill, but there is a, a sense of unity and cosmic oneness that as human beings we've been cast out of. And that was part of the biblical story. And Mercury is 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 the essence of that, I think, too, of that dualistic ambiguity. And when we have the sun moving through the first decan of Gemini, 
we are becoming aware of all those ways that uh, how duality and ambiguity is present and of the pro proliferation of directions that we could go. And that can lead to a little bit of paralysis by analysis. Now, in a talk that I'm going to be giving at, at Glock, the Great Lakes Astrology Conference in, in July, I'm going to be talking about the correspondence with the, the tarot and the signs with the Thema Mundi. And in the Thema Mundi, Gemini was associated with the 12th house. It was the 12th house of the cosmos. And if you're familiar with the 12th house and traditional significations, it's like a prison. It, it, it is the joy of Saturn where we are um, potentially having to be removed from society in some fashion to, to correct something. And it can also be a place, it's also called the place of the bad daimon or the malus daimon, where we can associate that with a, a guiding spirit that may be pulling us away from our personal power. Okay. If, if we're looking at the two motions of the zodiac, uh, the first house is, is the angle and the place of personal power. And 12th house is a cadent house or falling away from the angle in diurnal motion. So it's pull, being pulled away uh, from the angle of power, but gazing upon it almost like wistfully. Okay. So I think we can also bring some significations of Gemini or glean some significations of Gemini from the 12th house and feeling. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know, some mental health challenges with uh, that voice in our head that may be telling us, <laughs> you know, all the things that we need to do and, and feeling paralyzed. And I think the cards really speak to that because we have uh, a feeling of powerlessness in the Eight of Swords. Then in the second decan of Gemini, we have kind of the nightmare card, the Nine of Swords, where we're laying awake at night, you know, feeling overwhelmed by all the options again. And then Eventually, we have the Ten of Swords, where a figure has all the swords in his back, and some of the options have to die for others to live. So it's like we have a, to make a choice. We have to make a decision. We have to let go, potentially, of some of the bad habits that we have or some of the options that prove to be ineffective to be able to uh, give life to something. So first decade of Gemini, the sun there, we're going to be exploding into options and what else is going on in the sky when we when we see this happening well that particular day wednesday the 20th venus is going to be making a square to neptune retrograde venus okay at 20 degrees so this is part of our conversation we're going to be uh having a uh, potentially a crisis of within our relationships um, that is very mercurial in nature. Maybe we are re-examining what we love now that we've had an opportunity to be away from uh, the normal things that we love. Maybe there's some new things coming out up to the surface that we weren't aware of in the past. Maybe since we've had this time out, and this time, this time together with uh, the people that we care about, uh, maybe there's some issues that, that need to be reexamined. Maybe there's some realities, some harsh truths that we are becoming aware of that we weren't before. Uh, 
Now I will caution you. Uh, some of this may be real, and some of this may be uh, a, a result of being thrust into a very, very difficult situation for a very extended period of time. Um, I guess I would encourage you not to make huge uh, relationship decisions during the Venus retrograde. I would use it as a, as a information gathering experience, but also realize that your desires may be uh, colored by this Neptunian square. You may be very idealistic about what, you're, what you want and what you desire, and that may be causing a conflict uh, in in relationships, and this could be true to to the collective as well. There may be a a real um, idealization going on as far as what the reality of our situation is, and it, it could be leading to some actions where we say, "I want this, I desire this very strongly," but it's it's you know coming from a place of illusion, and so I I would you know very much encourage you to try to be as clear and grounded as you can. And both of these planets are in mutable signs. So mutable signs in general have a, a kind of destabilizing quality. So we could just be having everything being put into question. Um, this could also lead to some very idealized relationships too. Um, as a natal astrologer, I generally tend to caution my clients to Venus retrograde periods in general as being uh, the too good to be true type of experience. If a relationship starts during Venus retrograde, uh, that person may not be what they seem to be. And when it goes direct, it, it may lead to some, some challenges. I would say that's doubly true when you have Venus squaring Neptune. So I would very much caution you to uh, about A, relationships that you get into, about abandoning relationships that you're a part of uh, and uh, and also Venus is associated about things we love and what we want to buy um, I would also caution you not to go out and like buy a whole new wardrobe or something under this aspect as well uh, because you may there may be um, you may feel like you have an abundance but when these planets go direct the truth may come out and you may need that those resources for something else. So um, I would not advise towards retail therapy around this uh, time frame. You know, maybe some of you have just gotten your stimulus check in the mail and like, I'm going to go on a spending spree because I feel depressed, <laughs> like, which is totally legitimate. Retail therapy is a thing. But I would say just be very careful because the things that may be attractive to you right now, um, when Venus goes direct, may not be... Uh, hold the same appeal. And I'm telling this to myself too, because I'm feeling the impulse right now to go out and buy uh, a whole new library of books <laughs> when I have so many books already. Um, so I, I, you know, if I go back and listen to this, I'll be careful about the books right now, Spencer. <laughs> like, so anyway, um, so that's what we've got on, on Wednesday. Uh, and we have a few lunar aspects on Wednesday as well. So let's, before we move to Thursday, let's take a look at the, some of the lunar aspects we're experiencing also. Um, the moon is going to be making a square to retrograde Saturn. Okay. 
And this is also concurring with the moon conjoining Uranus and the moon sextiling Mars. Okay. So we have a, an exalted moon making a square with Saturn and coming into contact with a disruptive Uranus who wants to just break free and break out. And it's also being supported by Mars kind of drawing energy from Fomalhaut. And we may really desire to break free, uh, but we have Saturn is in the superior position. Okay. And one of the concepts in Hellenistic astrology that's important is which planet is in the power position in an aspect. And the superior position is the one that is earlier in the zodiac. So in this case, Saturn is the one with the power in the superior position. So you may feel like you have a desire to bust out, uh, right, with the moon conjoining Uranus, but Saturn's still there saying, eh, pay attention to these limits. You know, this, these are still some of the parameters that you are working within. So I think that Wednesday, as, as the sun moves into Gemini, we could be feeling antsy. Mercury also is very swift. It is, one, is the, the messenger that has winged feet. So we may get the, instead of this patience that we may have had when the sun was in Taurus, we may be getting really itchy and antsy to, to do stuff. Um, so just be careful of that influence too, because Mercury is going to be like, I don't want to sit still anymore. You know, like this could be the, we could be going through a collective like attention deficit disorder as well, where our, our energy gets scattered in a lot of different, um, a lot of different directions. Okay. So that's what I've got for Wednesday, the 20th. Moving forward to Thursday, May 21st, trying to be very clear with announcing each day so that when I go back through this, I'll be able to find the timestamps for you. I don't know how much extra work that's going to be. Um, we'll see. I'll do my best, but is it really that hard to like fast forward through these things? No, I, I know. If, if you request it, I will, I will do my best to, to, uh, to listen to the desires of my, of my audience, because after all, this is a service, I hope, for you. Um, so here we go. Thursday, the 21st of May. Uh, the moon will be moving through Taurus in that balsamic phase. And one of the things that we are seeing beside a few um, lunar aspects, okay, uh, is... Well, let's talk about the lunar aspects first. The, the moon is going to be sextiling Neptune on Thursday. Oops, I just went forward an hour, not a day. Okay, there we go. Oh, no, stop. No. Sometimes the program just goes wackadoodles. So on May 21st, Thursday, now it's on the screen, you'll see that the moon is making a, a sextile to Neptune at about 20 degrees of Taurus and Pisces at about 3.18 p.m. And then it will make a trine at 11.28 in the evening to retrograde Pluto from 24 degrees. So those are our lunar aspects for the day. One sextile to Mars, I'm sorry, to Neptune, and then a trine to Pluto, okay? So 
we're going to be kind of getting in touch with that uh, that sort of um, idealistic energy with Neptune. Also, potentially feeling a little bit of a you know lack of energy. I know in my own experience when I've had Neptune contacts, I just feel kind of the wind go out of my sails. It's a, it's a dissolving quality. Um, it's a it's it's a little bit. I would say it's a little bit like. Um, mm, I feel like it's connected with Saturn since in the discovery chart of Neptune, Saturn was very close to, it's closely conjoined with it. And so it feels like, you know, a, almost like a depression or like a limitation or like it has some boundaries or something, which is interesting because we think of, of Neptune as dissolving boundaries, but I found it as like a hitting my head against a wall type of experience and a lack of energy. So we may be experiencing that through Thursday the 21st. Um, when we have the trine with uh, Pluto, that's going to trigger uh, a desire potentially to, you know, re-examine how we're using our power, uh, how we are composting things within our life. Um, it could bring up some things from the the depths of the underworld. You know, Pluto is that that energy of uh, decomposition. It was like the you know nuclear fusion and fission. Right, it was kind of that that it makes big things. If I'm quoting Alan White, it makes big big things small, and small things really big. Uh, so we could be coming into terms with like, you know, the volcanic energy that is lying beneath the surface in our life, and re-examining how how that's operating within our psyches. Now, the other thing that's happening on Thursday, twenty first, is the moon is going under the bond. So you can see right here. And this happens at about 16 degrees of Taurus at around 7.49 a.m., around 8 a.m. or so. The moon is going to be within that 15-degree range of the sun, getting ready to be reborn at the new moon. So this is a, a time frame where a lot of significations uh, are hidden. A lot of uh, the ability of the moon to bring things into being is, is going to be held in check. So under the bond, right? Kind of like, you know, I believe that this was associated with um, Saturnalia. So we've got kind of the limits that we're working within. Like when they say we have loosening of the bond in a in a chart, in a zodiac releasing, it was that time in, uh, there was a festival where, you know, prisoners were let free or there were, you know, a lack of boundaries or rules or, you know, we, they switched kind of the roles in the society. So, um, but this is a time where uh, the moon is kind of, the moon is something that likes to, is like a membrane around the earth that is allowing things in and, and letting things pass out. And this is a time where some of those functionality of the moon could be uh, held, in, held in abeyance or held in check. So that may be part of the thing that we're experiencing. It's like the moon is starting to enter that furnace thing and, and become hidden. So it may be a little bit challenging to do lunar work around this time. All right. So that's what I've got for Thursday. If we move forward to Friday the 22nd, that's where we've got a whole crap ton of things going on. Okay. The, the weekend, there's, it's a little bit quieter, but Friday is kind of the big day. And it's interesting because that's a 22 day. In numerology, 22 is considered a master number, a higher octave of the number four. It was the master builder. So we may be seeing some things that are um, building in the collective 
at this new moon that are of great importance. So let's move the chart forward. There we see our chart. Uh, and I'm going to go forward to the new moon, which happens at 1.38 in the afternoon. Okay. And we'll, we'll unpack this in the context of the new moon. Because there's many aspects that are players in this new karmic cycle that we're experiencing here. So, okay, here we see the new moon at two degrees of Gemini. Okay. Of course, both of these lights are coming together and they are being hosted by Mercury, who is also conjoined retrograde Venus. So these two are working like a pair right now. And we are seeing a trine from this new moon to Saturn in Aquarius within three degrees and a square to Mars. Okay. It's not within three degrees, but it's close enough to be an important player in the game. Okay. And, you know, we can also say if we want to talk about this, this is, um, you know, Neptune's part of the conversation too. I'm realizing that I have the, my charts displayed as Regimentanus, which I was using for some horary that I was doing. I recently finished um, Achuta Bhava's Nightlight Astrology Horary course that I was doing, which was fun um, and very interesting. I actually plan on doing it again. Because horary is difficult to master. It takes a lot of practice. But I will say, if you are so inclined, I'm, I will start taking um, donation-based horary questions. Horary is a part of astrology where you ask a question and then examine the chart to uh, figure out um, what is going on. Sort of like the oracle. Sort of like the I Ching. And... Uh, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. I guess it doesn't really matter. There we go. Okay. So what I did is I just messed up all my annotations. So horary is where you ask a question of a chart and then you look at the aspects of the planets to get an answer on various different topics. Like, will I get the job? Will, does this person love me? Uh, where is my pet? <laughs> you can use it to find lost objects. Uh, should I take uh, the trip? Should I is not a good question. Will I take the trip? Uh, you should try to avoid should questions. It, it should be a little bit more concrete. Um, will I uh, go on vacation or something like that? Will I leave the house in the next three months? <laughs> like, um, will I move? Is, is, this a good, is this house a good deal? Um, when, will I, uh, when will the check come or something like that? So I, I'm going to start taking, uh, do, you know, donation-based. So that means like whatever you want. If you want to contribute something and send me a, so send me any questions you have to my email at spencermichelleastrology at gmail.com if you have a question. Um, with the caveat that I'm still learning this and it's something that, uh, it's an exercise in learning. So if you, you know, pay whatever you want or, or if you want to just have a question answered, it gives me good practice. So I, I won't standardize my horary rates until I've done 
uh, a number of these and probably gone through the course again. Um, but you'd be doing me a great service too by helping me get practice with this. So I'm o I'll open that up as a, as a thing. But anyway, back to our um, little digression. Back to our new moon in Gemini on the 22nd. Again, we are hosted by Mercury, which is conjoined retrograde Venus, trining Saturn in Aquarius, retrograde Saturn, and making a square to Mars. So let's break that all down. So this is a new, a new, all new moons are when the, the sun and the moon come together, are conjoined. And we've got, this is the beginning of a new cycle. This is a, a, a new seed is being planted, a new karmic impulse, a beginning of a story. I like to think of it as the beginning of a narrative. It doesn't mean that we always have to do everything at these beginnings of these cycles. We can just be aware that this is the in, initiation point of a new chapter. And I think if we view it like that, we can take some of the pressure off ourselves to be like, I have to set all these intentions at the new moon. You know, that's okay. You can set intentions in your life if that's what you're into. But I think that more so what I will say is look at this as being the, the inception moment for the story that you're going to be living out for the next month or so. And that, that can help you to bring some of the other aspects into context, like when we have a first quarter moon and then when we have a full moon and when we have a last quarter moon that's going to just help you understand where the the root of those conflicts were and potentially what we might be needing to learn from it rather than what we need to do i don't think we always have to do everything with astrology i think we just have to observe it sometimes and have that can inform our choices but it, it can also just give us understanding so that we're not tossed about um, as as severely without um, awareness. Okay, so before this all happens, the moon makes a trine to retrograde Jupiter on Friday at 27 degrees. So there may be some, some uh, last earthy contact between the moon. Again, the moon's gonna be on Algol though, so there may be some kind of uh, challenge that happens late Thursday, early Friday, uh, even though it's a trine, um, that, that could be a potential for some conflict. Um, all right, so let's unpack this. At 4.41 a.m., Mercury is going to be conjoining Venus retrograde at 20 degrees of Gemini. So this is where we may be seeing blendings of Mercury and Venus significations. So remember, we're trying to harmonize Venus uh, potentially with things from the past because it's retrograde. So we're, we're harmonizing things from the past, and we're harmonizing mercurial things. Uh, so this could be communications, potentially with old friends, old lovers, reevaluating old relationships, reevaluating what we desire, what we love. This could be on our minds, mercury. Uh, there could be uh, flattery or gossip. We could be writing or journaling about the past. This could be uh, a nostalgic qual there could be a nostalgic quality to this aspect as well since venus is retrograde uh, i know that i've seen a lot of people posting about music that they love from their from their youth recently with venus turning retrograde um, so that could be something we could see that's part of our story there could be an attempt to reconcile opposing viewpoints um, again with this conjunction 
mercury is destabilizing relationships. So it's presenting us with, with different options. It's presenting us with some questions and with uncertainty. I think it's important to recognize that Gemini is a, a sign that is very much about questioning things. And Mercury in general is uh, the skeptic and trying to separate things into categories and try to, trying to contest things. Like a, like a lawyer in a cosmic courtroom, the Mercury is examining the witness and asking them the questions and trying to create potentially doubt in the mind of a jury or a judge. Whereas Jupiter is the judge. Jupiter is the one that is trying to take all the different opinions and trying to bring it to a consensus and bring it to a judgment. So if you think about it like Mercury is our cosmic lawyer and Jupiter is our cosmic judge, uh, the cosmic lawyer is very strong right now and the cosmic judge is very weak. So that is something that uh, we, as far as how well they are functioning. So it's like the lawyers are running the courtroom without a judge right now on some level. And insert lawyer joke here. <laughs> like, uh, but that's what we we'll would be seeing with, with Mercury conjoining Venus. Um, the other thing that's happening is Mercury and Venus are going to be squaring Neptune. So that's another part of our, of our conversation is the square between both Mercury and Venus in Gemini and squaring Neptune. So this is part of, again, this is going to be part of the story that's going to be playing out throughout this entire lunar cycle. So we're going to be seeing a proliferation of options that's being hosted by Mercury conjoined a retrograde Venus, which is all of that menagerie of things is squaring Neptune. So potentially we, and, and Mars, if we want to think about it whole sign. So we may be trying to take actions from a very idealized position. Uh, we may have some tendencies to want to escape reality with Mars and Neptune being in the sign of Pisces and with Mars being fairly close to the fixed star of Fomalhaut in the first decan. Um, we may be wanting to leave old beliefs behind. This may be where we're questioning uh, the entire foundations and structures that we've built our relationships on. Okay. We may be like, uh, think about it like this. Let's say you have your partner in the witness chair <laughs> and now every single one of us is like a, a cosmic lawyer cross-examining our partners about everything that they've done or in the past. <laughs> so I would really caution you not, not to um, lump every, every conflict that you've had in the past onto your partner right now, because I think that would be really easy to do. I think it's, it would be more important to take one thing at a time and deal with it um, you know, more as a separate issue rather than trying to lump everything together and say, you did this at this point, and you did this then, and then that shows that you're a terrible person. Well, I would, I would caution you on that because it may be that that person was doing the best that they could at that period of time. Now, if you feel like, you are the cosmic judge, you may be trying to lump all of those separate actions into a judgment on the person, and that may cause you to take an action of severance. And I, I think that, remember, the cosmic judge isn't, isn't very powerful right now. And I think that the judgments that we may make, we may, we may regret later if we are trying to make too many judgments right now rather than 
ask the questions and see things from multiple perspectives. Um, and also, allow your relationships uh, space to change. That may be the other thing we're experiencing with this new moon is allowing our relationships to evolve. And where we started out with somebody may not be where we end up. And that's okay. They are human beings that are having an experience and going through the cycles and changes of their own lives, as are all of us. And um, sometimes people grow apart and sometimes people grow closer together. Sometimes certain parts of their life grow apart, but other parts of their life are still okay. And I think this is kind of a thing where I would caution you not to throw the baby out with the bathwater right now because one part of your life may not be functional in your relationship and see where you may be able to find some consensus as, as difficult as it may be. Now, you may come to the, the, the final judgment at maybe at the end of the retrograde that it is just irreconcilable and you, you definitely have moved. There's a deal breaker, right? But I, I would just be careful that, that you may be... Um, we as a collective may be a little bit unrealistic about our ideals and our expectations may be a little bit too high. Now, I will bring you back to Fomalhaut and say, in your relationship, are the two of you working for the good of the, of the relationship, of the collective, of the family, of the whole, or are the motivations motivated by selfish desires? So I, I think that you can look at it from that perspective too. If someone has grown apart from you, but what they're trying to achieve is for some kind of collective common good, it would be much harder to, to denounce that behavior than someone who is you know, trying to glorify their own personal um, selfish desires, which could ultimately lead to a fall. Now, I can hear all of you in the background going like, wow the conflicts of this person, my partner's being selfish. <laughs> but, but you really have to try to get some clarity as to what their motivations are and what they're really trying to achieve and what you are trying to achieve because you're a part of this relationship too. So those are going to be some of the important things in the, in the, the new moon cycle. And Saturn is trying to assist. Saturn is trying to help us to reevaluate the structure that we're living within too, and the rules that we have set as a collective and as a society. So expect to see a lot of conversations about the validity of the rules and the, and the actions that we've taken, whether it's necessary or not. Um, I will say that Saturn is still in the superior position to all of this. It's, it's in a superior trine. So I, I like to think of the, the planet that is in the superior position as being in charge. Saturn's in charge. So it is still very important that we are honoring our collective Saturn and honoring limits and boundaries and honoring the slow, patient, hard work that we're going to need to do to bring our society back into balance. Because I feel like, you know, it definitely, I would say that a lot of us feel like our society is off kilter right now. But I think respecting Saturn is going to be important. And Saturn is going to be uh, still moving through that first decade of Aquarius, where we are feeling bound by our limitations. Now, remember, we had that eight of swords, okay? We had that feeling of being bound. And I think one of the things it talks about with literature about this particular card is sometimes the, that feeling of being limited is more in our minds. And if we take a, took a different perspective, we may see that 
we have a different type of freedom. And I think this may be one of the, um, a good, a healthy way to look at this new moon and look at the situation that we're in in general. We may have some limitations in our physical world, but that doesn't mean that our minds necessarily have to be limited. We may be able to find freedom through our explorations, uh, through our intellectual explorations. Um, I just had a really wonderful meetup with a group that's studying the book Cosmos and Psyche, and we, we're not able to meet physically, and that may be a limitation, but we had a lot of intellectual freedom in our conversation. I thought that was, it was really fun, and it felt really liberating. So the liberation that we may seek may be a mental one with, with these, all these planets and air signs rather than a physical one. So I would encourage you to see how you can find uh, liberation and freedom within your ideals and within your communications rather than necessarily having it to be a, a physical thing that may put other people at risk. So that could be a, a happy medium that you could do that, that might be the best of both worlds. Uh, hopefully, as we all try to find some kind of uh, collective solution to the, the challenge that we're facing, which is a serious one. Um, the other part of the equation, and oh, here, this I think this is when I wanted to bring it back to the, the final line in our uh, hexagram of the day, number 29, danger or chasms. It said, bound with good rope and cords, shut away in a thorn thicket for three years gains nothing pitfall okay so the themes of being bound like we saw in the eight of swords says at first you are bound into relationship with its ties and limits the water in the chasm will stay within its limits this is how it can flow through but when limits are not observed and bonds not honored you are shut away from the flow altogether then you are utterly trapped your confinement will last for the set time and there is nothing constructive to be done. Man, I, I, so amazing, the literalness of that. To me, what that says is if we can't respect the boundaries, we're doomed to, to be within them. If, but if we respect the limitations, if we respect the channel, the water's channel, the path to getting back to wholeness, we're going to be able to flow through this situation rather than get further and deeper into it. And, and if, you know, I see that as, as if we respect, respect the limits of our situation, but try to find maybe an intellectual freedom or a new way of doing things intellectually, we may be moving through the situation rather than making it worse. So uh, that's, that's what I think about the new moon. The other thing that I would say about this new moon that we should talk about is that Mercury is going to be moving into the third decan of Gemini. And that Deccan is associated with the Ten of Swords, okay? So the Ten of Swords is a figure that is lying awake at night. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> sorry, that's the nine. <laughs> Trying to get me. Uh, the Ten of Swords is a, a figure that is lying on the ground uh, with ten swords in his back, kind of like it defeated. This was, it was called Ruin. Austin Coppett calls it the Executioner's Sword. Um, I guess the little thing is that even though there is defeat, the, the, the figure is giving like a thumbs up or something like that. Like even though there's been decay and destruction, there, that things are going to be all right. Um, and the story that's told about this decan is, has to do with the, the Castor and Polydukes myth, where one of the twins uh, 
has to give up part of its immortality so that the other may live. Like one, one of the twins has to die so the other can live. And I think that this may talk about, you know, we're going to, with the sun and the moon making a new moon in this awareness decan of opposites, eventually what we're going to have to do is make a choice and, and start to whittle down some of the options that we have so that we can pursue what comes up as our passion. And this is true for Venus moving through that decan as well. Is we may have to make a choice as to, we have all these options that we're becoming aware of, but, but we can't pursue all of them all at once. So we have to focus. So I, I think that it's, it's about the focus that we're going to be experiencing. Now, the first aspect that the moon's going to make when it escapes the bond is going to be a 19 degree conjunction with Venus retrograde. So again, relationships are going to be a real focus of this, what we love, what we desire, the proliferation of options, reevaluating all the things that we uh, you know, try to bring to ourselves. Remember, Venus is the planet that allows things to come to her. And um, when she's functioning properly, she, she emerged from the ocean as a phosphorescent, you know, glowing being that was adorned with all these things. And I think sometimes we, when we have a Venus that's dysfunctional, like if Venus is in its exile in Mars's home, we tend to pursue things and that can get us into some trouble where, and this Venus is one where we're maybe pursuing multiplicity. Um, so I would encourage you with this Venus, especially retrograde to allow things to come to you rather than getting too, uh, fixated on pursuing multiple options and then making a choice but you've got time you can you can be patient the the hexagram that is that all these changing lines were moved into was right conduct and this is talking about just taking the actions out in the world and keeping our composure um i'll read it to you real quick it says and they're talking about stepping on the tiger's tail says, treading a tiger's tail, it does not bite, creating success. It says, there are tigers in the outer world and also inner tigers. As you get close, it's good to recognize the tiger for what it is. Treading on the tiger's tail is perilous, yet if you can move into harmony with it, you can invite its power into your own life as protection, fertility, and blessing. To do this without getting bitten requires skill and care. Look to the power and intensity you are drawn to in the situation. Its specific danger is there, but also its potential gifts. Okay, so when we talk about treading on the tiger's tail, it's like we have, when you're dealing with a dangerous animal or with a pandemic, your actions have to be well thought out and well planned, or you risk getting bitten by a dangerous animal or by a deadly disease. So I think as we move through this, we have to kind of make good choices as we move forward and in our relationships. We, you know, if we're thinking about this on the personal rather than the collective level, when we're having these conversations, we have to, to uh, make sure that we're not like awakening a sleeping dragon or awakening uh, a dangerous cornered animal in our relationships because we risk getting bitten. So if we are going to have challenging conversations, we should try to have some ground rules and try to have some maturity within it and also potentially try to uh, set some ground rules, you know, try to try to. Uh, fight fair, I guess, is what I would, what I would encourage you to do. And how do we do that? Through, through leaving space for the other person to, to express their viewpoint 
if you're just giving your dogmatic viewpoint, if you're just being the judge before you're able to hear somebody out, that's when you're going to create a division that isn't going to be bridged. But if you allow space for that other person to give you their viewpoint and actually truly try to understand where they're coming from, there's a much better chance that you can find uh, understanding within that and awareness. Okay, so that's what I've got for the new moon. And let's move to Saturday, the 23rd. We'll go through this real quickly because we've got just a little bit less astrology happening here. Okay, so on Saturday the 23rd, you can see that the moon escapes the bond and immediately makes contact with Venus. Uh, that happens around 9 a.m. So there's going to be something, there may be some important event that happens on, on the 23rd, Saturday, that will give you some context as to what this new moon cycle is going to be about. Really examine the, the Gemini area of your chart. Um, this is going to be something where you're, you're going to be reevaluating what you value in that regard. So like in this chart, this is a Virgo rising chart. You may be reevaluating your relationship with society and your job and the way that you uh, assert authority out in the world. Um, you know, if it is in the seventh house of relationships, if you have a, a Sagittarius uh, chart ascendant, this may be something where you're really reevaluating your relationships. Uh, and even more so, that's going to be a, a theme and all partnerships that you have. Um, if this is happening in the 11th house, you may be reevaluating the types of groups that you are a part of and the collective, um, the collective hopes, ideals, and wishes that you're trying to enact, the, the collective uh, altruistic motivations that you may be trying to team up with others out in the world with. Uh, if it's happening in the first house, this may be, if you're a Gemini ascendant, this may be something where you're really reevaluating your own identity. And, you know, the multiple, the multiplicity of all the different facets of yourself. Uh, so we can play out in a lot of different ways. Um, and again, if you're, if you're really, if you're curious and you want to get some, uh, actually retrogrades are a great time to get a reading because it helps you to reevaluate different things in your life. So if you're wanting some help on unpacking this new moon cycle, uh, feel free to reach out for a reading. I'd be happy to help you out. Okay, so beyond escaping the bond and conjoining Venus on Saturday the 23rd, the moon will, um, well, it will be conjoining the retrograde Venus at 11.14 p.m. That's when we're going to see the, the conjunction itself. It'll escape the bond at 9 a.m., but it'll actually perfect that conjunction at around 11. So this may be a day of like <laughs> lots, of con lots of conversations about um, what you value. Okay, on Sunday the 24th, that's the only lunar or non-lunar aspect that we have for the day. Um, and on Sunday the 24th, um, the moon will be in Gemini, uh, moving into Cancer at the end, at the more towards the end of the afternoon. And we're going to see the moon in Gemini squaring Neptune at 20 degrees at 1.33 a.m., and then conjoining Mercury at 23 degrees at 7.09 a.m. of Gemini. And then later in the evening at 7.08 p.m., this, the moon moves into Cancer. Uh, so again, we're going to be you know, coming face-to-face -face with any illusions that we may have over the course of Saturday into early hours of Sunday, and then potentially having a, maybe a productive conversation as the moon um, conjoins Mercury in its domicile. Okay, 
I think that's what I've got for this week. So thank you for hanging out. Um, hopefully I will try to get some timestamps on here for you. Looking ahead to next week, the 25th through the 31st, on Monday, the 25th, Mars is going to be sextiling Uranus from eight degrees of Pisces to eight degrees of Taurus. Mercury will be moving into the moon's domicile of Cancer on Thursday, the 28th. And then on Friday, the 29th, we have our first quarter moon with the moon in Virgo at nine degrees, squaring Gemini sun at nine degrees as well. So that will be kind of our first like progress report um, about this full moon is on the 29th of May. So I hope that you are all doing okay out there. Hang in there. Send me your horary questions. Um, and, you know, reach out for reading if you want it. And we will, uh, you know, hang in there. I hope that you have a great, a great new moon experience and that uh, your curiosity is piqued. So I will talk to you soon, everyone. Make sure you smash that like button and share if you like this stuff. And leave me a comment as to how things are going. And I will talk to you soon. Peace.